0: Today I'm speaking with Dane Fitzgerald and Robert Stark, both writers and podcasters. I have been on Dane's podcast a couple of times, and Robert, we met very briefly um, in San Francisco. I think oh be yeah, I remember day. that. I think I met you at some bar
1: in the Mission District. I remember my friend and I, uh, we were, I, I could barely, I, barely felt, I felt kind of rude, but like we were in such a hurry to catch the bart back.
0: Oh, I remember that. That, that that's right. Um, it was right before I had my baby, so it was like my right. last night out before my life changed very drastically.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I
0: remember that night specifically because of that. I was like, "Oh, this is my last night out." I know
2: it was uh, 2021, maybe July 2021, August, September, something somewhere in there. I think right. it was Labor. It was Labor Day, Labor Day
1: of 2021.
0: That's right. Yeah, okay, yeah. that sounds right. Yeah. Well, is there I, still been, like the strict pandemic restrictions? It was. It was. I think that was the first time I went to a bar, too, like since the pandemic hit, which is interesting. Well, today I, I primarily want to focus on the topic of the future of California, um, kind of because, you know, it's in the news a lot. There's a lot of doom and gloom about California. Also, every time I've interacted with Dane, we usually like kind of, you know, stumble back to the topic of what's up with California culturally. And is it still as culturally significant as maybe it used to be and as it should be even? And Robert has a Substack stack um, where you talk, you know, pretty regularly yeah, about lot, like politics. I talk about and... a lot of
1: topics. I'll plug it. Mm-hmm. It's just, you can find it at robertstark.substack.com. And yeah, a lot, California themes maybe make up about at least half my articles. And yeah, a lot of it is I'm working on a number now, but a lot of a lot of like trend forecasting too.
0: Okay, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I kind of want to start there, which is like, do you guys have any clear impressions about where California is heading? Are you on like the Doomer train? I see this a lot, especially on conservative podcasts, where it's all, you know, California is dying, full of crime, full of, you know, it's unaffordable, homelessness, on and on and on. Are you guys, you know, is is that kind of like how you see things? Or do you have a different perspective?
1: Yeah, I would just say that. Okay, I do think there is a decline, but the problem with asking someone if there's a decline, decline, it's like it is somewhat uh, subjective because, but it also depends like by what metric metric you're talking about. to kind of have to be specific. But talking about like the culture, I do. Yeah, I do think like things like culture innovation, it does feel like very very stagnant, and there is. A sense of decline but it's more gradual but looking at like specific metrics like you have a number of these like kind of right-wing youtube channels that talk about how california is terrible and it's just homeless encampments everywhere and it's like overly it's obviously based in reality i think a lot of that is overly sensationalist but there definitely is like this feeling of decline but it's more and a lot of a lot of it was exacerbated by the pandemic, mm-hmm. and even I mean the pandemic had a huge cataclysmic impact. But even then, like a lot of st- a lot of these predictions do get exaggerated, and it's kind of like makes me think of like the writer Michelle Welbeck, where he said at the beginning of the pandemic, he said post pandemic life would be the same but shittier. It kind of makes me <laughs> think of that. So it's just. I don't know. It's this feeling of like a a sort of like slow gradual decline. And then obviously like, I'm not, like, I'm not personally connected to tech, but obviously like the, if you're in the Bay area, the tech layoffs are huge. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And a lot of, a lot of the economic policies that were pursued with like the federal reserve and interest rates are having a pretty dramatic uh, impact. And because these companies, uh, I mean, I don't, since I'm not really an expert, I don't want to get too much into it, but, there is a sense that the tech boom of the 2010s was more based off of a, a Fed policies of a cheap debt rather than actual innovation, but a lot of these, yeah, a lot of these like tech companies were so dependent upon the low interest rates and the cheap debt that the right. Federal Reserve interest rates to fight inflation. I mean, that's going to have a cataclysmic impact.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, one thing that's that's interesting to me is is the the issue of demographics. And so many headlines recently have been about how California's population is declining. And particularly with the Bay Area, there's has been this quote unquote like mass exodus. Right. Um, but when you dig into that a little bit further, you see that most people who left the Bay Area actually moved just to other cities in California. And this is personal for me because I, I left San Francisco and moved to Sacramento and so just kind of culturally i mean i love san francisco there's so much about it that i love but when you are there it does feel very museum ish and very you know decline ish as if it, as if you know even even the spots that are super hip and super awesome yeah,
1: that's the thing is like i've always kind of experienced it as a tourist i remember right even i think i mean i think it's declined i think it was probably there is definitely a decline, but I remember going there as a kid in the 90s, and it's always had a kind of theme park feel. And but actually, in a good way. I don't mean that right. in a bad sense. That's like what I li- liked about it. But just kind of the atmosphere. Like this talk of a mass exodus, and then there's other questions of which what is the profile of people who are more likely to leave. But just putting aside the data, if you go to San Francisco or anywhere in the Bay Area, does it visibly feel like much less populated?
2: You know, I I, I want to just just jump in real quick. And, you know, the, the thing about depopulation, and uh, I guess the point I'm making is not very populist, um, and, and I actually am more sympathetic to populism, but you know, even if it's declining, even if the population is declining, let's say for every five people that leave, uh, you know, five, you know, kind of average ambition, average IQ people who leave two move in, let's say two power, power couple move in, right? So you know, uh, you know, the people in this who are part of this couple have a, a Ph.D. or a master's degree. So even with depopulation, you can get your relative elites moving in and actually directing the course of events in a, in yeah, a stronger that's, way. Yeah, that's so, another
1: kind of interesting angle. So that's happening. Yeah, that could be happening. But I do remember because I hear I hear contradictory stuff. I hear that there's this exodus of like millionaires out of California, but I've seen data that shows it's working class people who are more likely to leave. I think that was the right. case for the 2010s. It was poor, middle-income people leaving. And then obviously a lot of immigration and then some, I mean, immigration has declined, but it's still somewhat significant. And then wealthy people, the people who who relocated from other states were disproportionately wealthy, but mm-hmm. that was from the 2010s. I'm not sure if the pandemic uh, Change that. If there was more of an exodus of the wealthy during the pandemic, I mean, that could be possible. Well, you know, I
0: I uh for a uh, kind of another perspective on, that I have on this that's kind okay. of interesting is that oh sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Dane, sorry. Um, but you know, I'm I'm really curious about the quote unquote creative class, people who are young and ambitious, who are gonna start bands, write novels, start companies, you know, that sort of a thing, people fresh out of college where and, and you know where are they taking their young brains and their creativity and their ambition and like those are the people that i think are really gonna you know keep wherever they they go they're they're gonna keep that that space vibrant and that is kind of like what i felt was missing in san francisco was uh, when i was there is is that there is a certain bit of vibrancy but it's all around tech you like i mean you never really meet people who are, I, I, I have a literary journal, so I like try to tap into these communities, but like, it's so hard to find people who are novelists, that sort of thing. Um, in San Francisco, I used to go to screenwriting meetups and like, it's, it's not, it's not very lively. It is not the best and the brightest. It's people who like have been working on one screenplay for 10 years and can't finish it. It's not like what you find in Hollywood, you know, where it's like, Oh, I cranked out a a screenplay in three months. You know, it's not that level at all. Um, so I mean I don't know what is your as a sense of like the creative class element of California is it I think, is it yeah the like, thing is, I'm
1: is go oh yeah like a lot of a lot of the creative people that I correspond with uh, they're all over the place including California but it's more online but mm-hmm. there is I ha- I have like kind of mixed feelings because I am I am optimistic about a lot of like online culture uh, dissident literature. Uh, culture arts and I I kind of wrote about that my sub stack I reviewed a friend of mine his his book neck cranker now Matt this guy Matt Forney is doing these cultural literary events in Brooklyn and these are people that I've networked with online but the thing is is I do feel like the general culture there still is a lot of a lot of it but it does feel kind of kind of kind of stagnant and kind of going back to what you're saying about the, about the specific locations and about these urban areas, New York, I think New York, LA and LA, obviously it's different with the entertainment industry, but uh, yeah, I think the problem like San Francisco specifically a tech over basically like overwhelmed everything and pushed out a lot of other industries and just a lack in some ways it was bad. It was bad for the culture and economic diversification. So that actually happened. Is it kind of interesting? Because some and sometimes like negative trends happen when the economy is supposedly good. So we are going into a recession. But it's be interesting to see if anything, uh, if anything positive comes out of it, because (laughs) I don't know how much how, how, how true this is. But I've heard people say that recessions are actually can be good for cultural innovation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that for some of the bigger cities, but also a place like, I think, I do think that Sacramento in particular is benefiting from, like, the exodus from the Bay Area, because I, I, so, I mean, you know, I, I have this literary journal, Jokes Review, and not too long since after I relocated here, I got an email from a guy. It was a cold email, and he was saying, "Hey, I'm I'm uh, looking to to be a you know an editor of literary journal too because I used to do this in San Francisco." Lo and behold, the guy was straight from San Francisco, just like me, moved here, and like you know. Yeah connecting with with, and that's you know there's there's me and then this other guy there's got to be you know tons of people like that who have like part of that creative class who are moving into smaller cities because they're just more affordable and more affordable cities are just like fundamentally better to be an artist in I think because you know rent and, and is cheap and events are cheaper food's cheaper I don't know it's just easier to be a creative person in a city that's affordable
2: you know, there's something right, a bit you, ironic. Yeah, how you, I, would, oh, I just want to say, uh, Robert, I just want to say real quick that there's something a little ironic about, you know, San Francisco, I think, generating this this almost like post location phase that we're in, because a lot of the uh, the creative energy now is just, you know, it's just dumped online from kind of anywhere USA or anywhere in the world. And, um, you know, as far as the, the future of San Francisco in particular goes, San Francisco itself has paved the way for a kind of situation where being in San Francisco or anywhere in particular doesn't really matter anymore. You know, uh, you, as long as you get yourself onto oh, a platform- Oh, yeah. Whatever. So, you know, it, it's almost like because of a Lindy effect or cultural residual uh, importance, you know, uh, places like New York and San Francisco will sort of uh, kind of drag on as as important, just in, you know, it's just kind of top of mind locations to be in or to, to say that you are somehow connected to in any way. But, um yeah, San Francisco per se, you know, it doesn't matter so much. Sa- Sacramento can be San Francisco as far as anyone online who who grocks what you're doing and, and and consumes what you're doing is concerned, you know. If you take yeah, an issue,
1: yeah. yeah, if you take an issue like remote work, I don't know if the the impact the recession yeah. is going to have, but I think it has potential to revitalize communities, but it also could exacerbate like social atomization as potential for both.
0: I want to ask a little bit about politics. I was just watching, you know, before I started this interview, when I was preparing for it, I googled, um, you know, what's the future of California? What are people saying? It's uh, very obviously, it was all a bunch of commentary about how, like, California is the failing state, blah, 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 even though, like, it's the fourth largest economy in the world. And, you know, a lot of reasons to live here, including the weather, and on and on and on. But, you know, um, this one perspective jumped out at me that I thought was interesting. There's this guy Peter uh, Layden, I believe you say his last name. He used to write for Wired. He's a bit of a like a futurist type of guy. Um, he has this perspective that I think isn't bananas, but I want to get your guys' take on it because um, I, I do kind of see how this could be real. He is, you know, has this perspective that California is always ahead of the trends. Um, which is a pretty safe thing to say. And California, you know, used to be very red. Uh, Ronald Reagan came out of here. We had Schwarzenegger, you know, that sort of a thing. Now we're very blue. It's all blue across the board, at least in terms of the the major cities. He is saying that this is going to be, this this is, you know, um, a precursor for what's going to happen across America because of, I'm sure he's thinking demographics-wise, all younger people are quite you know, blue, and they they don't seem to be doing the thing where the older they get, the more conservative they get, at least not to, to the extent Although that they I saw. to. I
1: forget um, whose Twitter handle, oh, sorry to interrupt, but I, I yeah. saw some Twitter handle of a researcher, I think somewhere in Europe, maybe Denmark, and they had an interesting chart that showed in continental Europe that's still the case where millennials are getting more conservative as they're older, but there is a trend now in the Anglosphere, uh, the U.S., maybe Canada, UK as well, where actually millennials are getting more to the left as they age.
0: I think I think I saw essentially that same thing, yeah, which is yeah. honestly shocking and surprising. I mean, but what, what do you guys think about that thesis that the whole country is going to be turning blue sometime in the near future because that's what happened in California?
1: Yeah, I think, so if you, look, yes. if you look at the midterms election, like, there's a lot of Joe Biden's, like, his popularity is declining, and there's a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of failures with his presidency. Obviously, the economy's not looking good, but Republicans, and then you also have to factor in the midterm the the uh, the opposition party does usually has that advantage with like the first midterm election with a new president. See? Uh, but they did pretty. the Republicans did pretty uh, pretty poorly. like they they lost the s- yeah. Senate and they only won the House by a very narrow margin. And yeah, so uh, this idea of like a, a permanent like one-party state—it's hard. I mean, it's hard to say if that will happen or some new realignment will form because either a new party forms or or or, or one or the Republican Party has to adapt. But there are major uh, trends, and even looking—I mean, there are there are demographic arguments for both cases because Republicans did make some inroads like with with hispanic voters but even then like i don't think that's enough like most of the mm-hmm. demographic trends point to strongly favoring the democrats and then just putting aside like there's a sort of racial angle but just young people across across all backgrounds white non-white in general are staunchly a pretty staunchly favor democrats over republicans so there are there there is there actually are a lot of a lot of the trends do point to that scenario of a one party state, but then, but there are, yeah. And like, I know it does seem like there are also signs of the establishment kind of consolidating power, but then I think maybe a kind argument to that is within things became very polarized, especially under Trump and even more so under Biden now. But the thing is within like the democratic party, you have this rising socialist sentiment and then you have like the wealthy, like neoliberal types And the question is, can those two groups uh, continue to coexist in the Democratic Party? Is having a common enemy uh, of the right enough to keep those two groups together?
0: I mean, I partly think that uh, uh, the inter-party conflicts in the Democratic Party are interesting to pay attention to, and they seem important um whereas the interparty conflicts in the right seem kind of petty and like they're going to go away eventually that that's just the kind of like my feeling which is why i mean i really like paying attention to um whatever you know the far left is doing and whoever who's who on the on the left is is pushing back against them that seems like an important area culturally and that's like front and center in like the bay area um where you you see a lot of like the woke versus the non-woke you know, that that conversation, that, that push and pull. Whereas yeah,
1: everything, in the, like, with the yeah, everything party, in the- With the democratic party, there's two angles. So there's like the, okay, you have yeah. like the woke versus the non-woke and then you have the economic divide of the neoliberals versus the, the growing socialist sentiment.
0: Right, right, yes. All of that to me, like I would say all of that is pretty interesting. Whereas on the conservative side, ah, I, I, none other like inter-party like debates seem interesting or important when when they are interesting or important they also are lashing on to the thing of fighting against the far left which is already happening inter party of the democrats <laughs> if that makes sense oh
1: yeah you know, because it was huge like, during, during 2016 like with when it was trump versus the gop establishment that that is he that was obviously a huge divide but now, like it does, yeah. I basically agree with what you're saying about where the geo. You're saying specifically like where the GOP is now, and then looking towards like the, the the primary election.
0: Yeah, like their main conflict right now is is was the election stolen and like uh, the 2020 election. So all these things that to me just don't seem interesting or or useful to talk about. Um, but you know, I, I do think that there are really, really, really important to ground this back in into California, things about like homelessness, right? Um, what to do about homelessness, what to do about crime, and but those things are all grounded within the Democratic Party, within California politics, because what what do you do about the homelessness problem? There's a far left solution and then there's like a centrist solution. There's not a right solution that's that's viable, is there? I mean, it seems
2: as if it seems as if the entire debate like about, you know, involving everything that we we generally think is important is happening within a broadly blue or democratic milieu, you know, like it's all of the. Yeah, yeah. You have it. It would be nice if the Republicans, for instance, could uh, be at least very visibly, very legibly um, broaching subjects like, you know, uh, Automation or AI-driven unemployment or something like to, to to go back to almost like an Andrew nice. Yang type of thing, yeah, right? Yeah, because know. Like they have rumors. They right. have rumors. <laughs>
1: the whole issue of automation is interesting because Tucker Carlson is talking about it, but none of the GOP major GOP uh, candidates are.
2: Right. Yeah. That would be that would be a smart and very uh, broadly material and, and 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 consequential kind of thing to discuss. But no, it's like. You know, demonic pedophiles, and I'm 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 updating right. things somewhat, but that's that's what I mean by all of these serious conversations are, are are essentially happening somewhere within the broad blue and democratic coalition. You have you know like I don't know blue dog Democrats or like Matty Glacius or um, who's that other guy Noah Noah Smith or whatever, and then you right, have right. like types and sort of uh, populist socialist and like everything is basically happening under that. And right, the if you have the whole the weird, like the versus. The housing
1: debate, Gimby versus NIMBY in California. That, that's basically like both both of those sides are like two sides of like the blue team in California.
2: Right, it's all blue team. The Republican yeah. and the red tribe are becoming. Uh, I don't know, kind of abortion or gun single issue people. Uh, there's yeah. kind of. A you very, also have. Like, you, I think the interesting is you have
1: like the gray tribe and you have the purple tribe, but those those t- types I kind of have to caucus with uh with another with like
2: either the blue or the red yeah yes, like I, I gray tribe too, stuff yeah. is, is closer to blue than red um now it, it doesn't seem that way when you're know, given the the kind of reddit forums that i go to but largely gray tribe is still op- absolutely closer to blue than red just that would you know, maybe not be
0: the case if red wasn't so religious in america that's like the yeah, sense that i get
2: they, they they are very very particularized you know it's almost right. like a uh you know, uh, a situated self kind of politics that doesn't even really get into anything that like utilitarians or kind of abstract thinkers particularly care about. You know.
1: And then purple. Um, I think like you said, gray tribe. Purple, what purple tribe is is uh, Keith Preston's been writing a lot about this on Twitter. A purple tribe would be someone who's on social issues or so on economic issues. They're a like moderate social democrat, and they just they they just but they they reject maybe Reaganism and socialism, but they're basically like a moderate social democrat. Then on culture issues, uh, they're a moderate social libertarian, so they dislike woke, but also like the religious right stuff. So I think that group they tend to be like kind of apolitical maybe like swing voters. But I'm getting the impression is that a lot of a lot of them kind of maybe loosely align with the red tribe. So maybe someone someone like Joe Rogan. He has maybe some elements of like the gray tribe uh, and the purple tribe. And he used to be more on the left, and now he sort of aligns more with the red tribe.
0: Well, this is this is something that I see in California a lot. Is that you know, as soon as you get out of the coastal cities and you get into the red red parts of the state, they fall into like that that red boring trap of just like caring about things that like the 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 state of Jefferson, you know. Uh, there's a lot of that, like in the Placerville area, where they want to leave California and become part of Idaho. And there's so much talk about issues like that that are kind of non-issues that, again, even within California, I feel like the interesting debates are happening on, like, more of the bluish side. Um, since we're a little bit short on time, I actually want to jump to a topic that's still related, but I just kind of a specific topic I'm curious you guys have thoughts on. Um, uh, in terms of homelessness, it seems like Michael Schellenberger is making the most noise about proposing, you know, not not radical, but in the eyes of, of lefties, super radical uh, reforms. What what do you guys think about him? Or is there somebody else that you think ha- is like a beacon of reason? Necess- or yeah, I, 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 well,
1: I, vote, I mean, I voted for him. I think most of his proposals are, are in, I, I mean, yeah, I voted for him. And I think most all of his proposals make sense. It's interesting cuz cuz a lot of people on the left are treating him as like a conservative or conservative or a right winger and his take is that California's approach <laughs> to the homeless, homelessness is kind of uh, it's kind of a left libertarian approach because maybe there's not out adi- there's obviously a lot of corruption mm-hmm. in these like NGOs that deal with poverty and the homeless there's a lot of corruption in how the resources are allocated but the, but he is right like there was a kind of left libertarian approach where where are the police they tolerate they tolerate the homeless but there's not really an adequate amount of uh support and yeah so that that's interesting point because i do think there is a strain in california's politics that is actually pretty pretty kind of like more like left libertarian
0: than actually
1: like statist
0: What what do you think Dane?
2: yeah i i like schellenberger um i don't know too much about him i know he's like kind of pro-nuclear power and having a kind of um you know kind of Christopher Lash or kind of family first leftism family first is probably putting it too strongly but you know kind of a realist about what you're dealing with on the streets of San Francisco and elsewhere right, right? like don't you don't pretend like these people are not destroying their own lives and and creating a massive nuisance and and, and destroying the lives of people who are close to them as well in a somewhat softer manner right like so, so he doesn't you know, fuck around as far as like, you know, just telling you what's actually happening there. Um, right, right. Uh, and yeah, he is it's not like he, he's he's not like some kind of Austrian economist or libertarian with some sort of, uh, you know, built in resistance to using government to do any anything about this. That's that's the left side of the left libertarian. No, I, think he is. I think he's and actually I don't, I mean, more of a social democrat.
1: Like he does support. I think he actually does support like more no. a rule, a rule for the government. He's not like some kind of right winger. Yeah.
2: And you I don't, I, I don't know. I might have just said left libertarian because I thought I heard Robert say that a moment ago, but he actually doesn't seem left libertarian. What I, what I
1: meant is like how I didn't mean Shalemberg. I meant how yeah. Cal, California, not not just now, but think California for a long time has had a kind of left libertarian strain in its politics, going back to like the '60s.
2: Yeah, like that. The, there's a there's a laissez-faire kind of approach to people at the bottom of society, which which very very much smacks of libertarianism. Like um, not the left to, side not
1: it, to, it, like not to do a lot to help them, but to also to kind of leave them alone and not police them.
2: Right. Yes. It's like so. You know, you hear the, the cliche of California. It's like this, this hyper-regulatory nanny state, mm-hmm. and that's that's true of people who are trying to do a kind of formal and bourgeois thing, but but California mm-hmm. has for a while now just said, you know, fuck it, you know, let, let it, it's it's total as a fair for people we deem at the very bottom of society. You know, you want to set right. up like a, you know, a right. encampment and basically just do your own sort of housing code, or or pu- approach to public health in this particular part of the city. Just, just do it. Go ahead. That's, so it's it's
0: massive
2: uh, yeah, right. anti-tyranny too. Another concept that uh, uh, a yeah, guy on the right, Paleo Right, Sam Francis, came up with as well. But so it's yeah, it's kind of a yeah.
0: I do think that that is, I mean, all, all the problems, the real problems of California, they do just circle around, like, affordability at some level because, and you know, and regulations because you can't build anything. Um, you can't do anything about homeless people on the street, even though there are good proposals about that. Um, I mean, kind of on and on and on. Like, I would love to see a high-speed rail, but, I, you know, that's just... Apparently not happening um, on a practical level i mean so many things that that could make the state i i recently talked to uh nolan gray the um the the urban planner guy and he he you know pointed out that between la and san francisco the tallest building is a parking garage in san luis obispo and just like how pathetic that is and there's there's no reason why there shouldn't be another major city between LA and San Francisco. Like it's kind of like insane that there isn't. Um, I I know him. He's more like, he's a more kind of libertarian
1: or market urbanist, but he's, he's actually pretty like radical because I think a Mm -hmm. lot of the MBs like more left-leaning, like they want infill development, which means building within cities. And he's, I think he's pretty far like radically in a more capitalist direction. Like he's put some posts calling for like, developing like places like monterey big sur which are pretty which obviously that's going to piss a lot of, piss off a lot of people but it's that interesting to his point yeah. like what he but what he said about like san the tallest he said the tallest building between la and the barrier so a parking garage uh in san los obispo
0: yeah which is pretty wild to think about
1: <laughs> well there's probably i guess yeah or, or a city like barbara. santa barbara like you the tallest building in santa barbara is like it's a uh, it was like built in the 1920s, and it's about like 10 stories, something like that.
2: Yeah, I watched a CNBC thing like the other night about uh, you know turning turning office vacant office space. Oh, into I, housing. Saw yeah. uh, I, I saw that too. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. I saw that. <laughs> I saw that Robert. Robert, what do you think about that? Because I, you know, they apparently a big success story there is in Calgary, Canada, and I don't know how much Calgary, Canada can, uh, you know, give. Well, Cal- I,
1: yeah, I think. I think that's obviously obviously what should happen, but the question is, are there a lot of regulatory issues that are standing in the way of that happening?
2: Right. Yeah, it's like a combination of that and just sort of, uh, you know, brass tacks, physics-driven problems. Uh, for one thing, yeah, residential I think, have more bathrooms. I, I, walked, sure. I walked around downtown SF in that last
1: time I visited you is in the. Like Labor Day of 2021, and I do remember, like the financial district did feel like a like uh, a lot of it felt like a ghost town. and I've heard it's only gotten like much worse.
2: Yeah, I was living there uh, like three months last year. I'm about to go back, and I, I was in Soma area, but I didn't actually venture down to like you know financial district per se. But I heard that it's a complete yeah, pretty pretty ghostly.
1: I think Soma is most Soma is more tech. And then you have the financial district where it's more like traditional industries like finance.
2: Yeah, but when I when I imagine the uh, the people that I see walking through Sixth uh, and Market, which is a pretty gnarly uh, intersection, I know Peter probably has a pretty good idea what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Um, like when I imagine those people like occupying like the 20th floor, of 20th floor of this force yeah. Tower or whatever sure. in the area, it doesn't seem particularly realistic.
1: Sixth but- and Market is that by the Twitter headquarters?
2: It's all basically near there, but I I don't think it. it's, I think right it's called now. like the mid. It's called like the
1: mid market district. But uh, yeah, I've been there, but it's
2: kind of seedy. Right. I mean, so there's there's some there's it, it's somewhat fanciful to think that those people are going to be occupying, you know, these these offices turned apartments and just be, you know, essentially like bourgeois bill payers, you know, decent residents like everyone else. It doesn't particularly seem like that could happen. But you know, I I don't know so, um, if if there was a if if society at this point had the stomach. For assigning, you know, government workers or some kind of a uh, confluence of public and private sector uh, to oversee these people, it could work. But um, that's just American society in particular is just too libertarian to stomach that sort of oversight and managerialism. Yeah,
1: this goes yeah, it goes back to kind of uh, well. There, I mean, there are problems yeah. with like the bureaucracy and the managerialism too. But I think people underestimate. Uh, the like the the extreme individualism it permeates like American society, but I think it impacts pretty much from both like Trump supporters to like a place like San Francisco. That's how much it permeates.
0: I'm typically, you know, just of the mind that just try stuff, you know? <laughs> just just try shit. And. It, you know, I, I think that it could be interesting to see what happens. I think Dane, you may be right with kind of like the cynical take about you know what's going to happen if you just start putting people into these buildings. But um, you know, I'm I'm kind of like in favor of just trying something because you know maybe it'll succeed. You never know. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm sort of I, I, I like the idea of like experimenting and trying different things and seeing what works and what doesn't. But I guess the problem is the way government works. Is once you get stuck with something bad, a bad policy, it's very yeah. hard to change it. That's the downside. Oh,
0: that's that's super true. So, so uh, like,
2: remember the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, you know, there there was this experiment with putting homeless people into motels throughout the city. Oh, yeah, the operation. Town. I, don't I don't know. think it's place. Has there been like a comprehensive like uh, look at what exactly happened there? I mean, did oh, did did the, did the I, hotel uh, owners think that like okay, well they're driving away everybody else who might want to stay here or? I know one, that
0: Schellenberger has talked about that, um, but I don't remember. He he was he was very, like, of the mind that it didn't work. But, yeah, I, I don't remember what he said exactly. Um, in the interest of time, sadly, I have to jump in a minute. Um, I don't want to go before I get your guys' hot takes. Future of California, let's say, you know, next decade, after we've done another presidential cycle or two, what do you guys think is, is going to be ahead for California? Are we going to, you know, do anything radical, like build rail? Are we going to, you know, continue to lose population on the other hand? I mean, what do you guys think is the uh, the future yeah, of California?
1: Yeah, I don't really have any, like, really groundbreaking predictions, but I will say I, my predi- my prediction is I think we'll continue to lose population in mm-hmm. the short term, but, that, but I do think, like, the embrace of Newsom embracing more YIMBY policies on on housing issues, I think that will start to make a dent, but it it could take like another five years. But mm-hmm. I actually do see, uh, regardless whether you which side you're on, I do see the Yimby side like winning, but generally winning over in the long run. Even though NIMBY, yeah. NIMBY still has a lot of in,
0: say in the short term. We did pass some legislation last year that made it, you know, what you can you can build. Uh, oh, well, I'm gonna spit through the specifics, of it. Do You know, what I'm talking about where you can you can you know put you know build anything on your land or what was this? Do you remember what I'm talking about? There was a there was a whole but there was a whole bunch of them. There was like a a lot split bill. SB1, That's what I'm right. thinking
1: of. And there's right. some about SB1. building your transit and one about parking minimums. Then builders remedy builders remedy was the one where if a city doesn't meet its housing mandates, uh, the state can t- can basically suspend. All zoning restrictions and developers have free reign. So that could happen in, in Santa Monica and Southern California and possibly a lot of barrier cities. That, that's interesting.
0: That was super optimistic for me. That made me hopeful for California. Um, Dame, let's hear your hot takes.
2: Uh, well, I think <laughs> California will continue down the path of uh, Brazilianification uh, in general, um, you know, right down to private security in, in many. Mm areas supplanting, you know, what we expect of uh, publicly provided law enforcement. Um, You know, I I, I suppose maybe uh, less Brazil and more Peru only because I I don't I don't know everything about Peru's demographics, but I know there's some kind of Asian influence there. California has that in a way that Brazil doesn't. Um, You know, I I don't know. I I I, I think the combination of policy and weather will, will make it a kind of homeless hotbed in a way other places are not. Um, And I don't know, as far as depopulation goes, that might not have the um, the kind of impact on GDP or uh, economic and cultural, cultural is a bit fuzzy, but economic influence because, you know, like I said earlier, for every five people that leave who earn, you know, 40K a year, if two people move in who combined earn uh, Mm -hmm. 280 a year, well, that kind of offsets it. Um, I didn't do the math there, but you you get what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, You know, so I... Yeah, I, I I'm more more pessimistic than, than optimistic, but um, I guess I, I, I don't I don't really see murders returning to the level. The yeah, thing is interesting oh, is uh, because of yeah, uh, yeah, you know, think, the, of the, the crime, well.
1: crime wave, I still think crime is
0: lower now than it was in the 80s. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. That, that has a lot to do with, you know, a, a, an aging society. I think, like, in other words, like, I think California will see more seediness, uh, slovenliness, but not, you know, you know, you're going to be gunned down when you're at the ATM machine. Not, not so much of that. And not also, ATM in show, yeah. machines do not even matter as much anyway. So,
0: <laughs> okay, hey, well, I really appreciate you guys coming on today, and hopefully, we can we can come back on with a little bit more time sometime and, and talk more. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Take care. Yeah, no
1: problem.